Today's guest is Venkat Ramesh. Venkat is a hardware systems engineer at Meta, where he leads various initiatives to optimize Meta's infrastructure for AI acceleration, compute, and storage. Prior to Meta, Venkat has worked across a wide variety of hardware teams, including at Apple, Cisco, SanDisk, and more. In today's chat, we'll be diving into the nuances of AI hardware engineering, critical aspects of hardware beyond just GPUs, and insights into how Venkat builds and recruits for his teams. Venkat, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited to dive in. Thanks a lot for having me, Sheikh. Really excited to talk to you. Venkat, so the very first question I have for you is, say we're meeting for the first time, you're sitting next to me on the airplane, and I'm from a non-tech background. How would you introduce yourself and what you work on? Yeah, so I actually had to make a presentation at my daughter's school for like the occupation week. So perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Audience as That's an even better it. scenario. Yeah, so usually I try to explain using this Lego analogy, right? You have these Lego blocks with which you can think, right? And the final product looks like a bridge, looks like a dragon, whatever, but it's composed of these building blocks, right? So in the world of AI today, you have all these powerful applications, generative AI applications, which are being powered by some hardware. And in the world of hardware, those Lego blocks are your AI accelerators, your SSDs, your CPUs and stuff. So my role as a hardware systems engineer is to make sure the people developing those applications have the right Mm -hmm. Lego blocks to make their imagination come true. They have the right training and inference infrastructure to build these applications and deploy them to the end users. And my own job is to make sure they have the right Lego set and it works as intended. It's performant, functional, and reliable. And I achieve this during using multiple ways of building specifications, working on open source tools and telemetry and a lot of debugging. So yeah, that's how I describe my job. During the Occupation Week presentation, was your daughter happy with your performance there? Yeah, I think I got the approvals from the five-year-old. Yeah, so we also had a Lego theme birthday party for her. So she kind of Cool. Looking more broadly then with your expertise in hardware systems and engineering, what sparked your interest in this particular field? Was there a certain experience along your early career or back in school maybe that led you into this world? Yeah, 100%. I think there were two very distinct inspirations I remember, like when I was an undergrad student back in India. This was around 2005. And that year, like two things happened, right? Like one was I was working on a conference paper and I came across this article about Stanford University's Stanley Autonomous Vehicle that had just finished the DAPA Grand Challenge, which was like a big thing. Mm-hmm. So that kind of, I was reading image uh, recognition and stuff at uh, school. And so immediately created the passion for neural networks and AI and data and all that. And that's remained one one thing. And the other thing which kind of came on YouTube, like towards the end of that year was Steve Jobs' famous Stanford commencement speech, the Stay Hungry, Stay Foolish speech. So I didn't know who Steve Jobs was before that. And that YouTube video led to the discovery of Silicon Valley and PC revolution. And I started reading up and watching the documentaries and that created this fascination for computer architecture. So those two have remained a constant pillar. From my master's, I had to choose between one of the two programs and I chose the computer architecture one. And my work has ever since kind of had uh, elements of both uh, in that I do performance benchmarking, which rely, uh, requires you to understand computer architecture, but also use uh, data skills to bring that together. And I think eventually it led me to what I'm doing today, which is actually using that skills for AI hardware. So. Yeah, awesome. Now, throughout your career, you've worked across a lot of different companies and very different teams from Intel, SanDisk, Cisco, Apple, and many more. 
As you evolved in your career and chose different roles to take on, what's generally been your mental model to to find your next adventure? What are the things you try to optimize for? Yeah, it's actually a very good question. Uh, and that's evolved what I optimize for. I think uh, for early part of my career, I optimized on learning and new experiences. Uh, but when like the Steve Jobs uh, speech goes, when I look back in the rear view mirror, the theme of like observability and telemetry has remained a constant. Uh, but uh, within that space, I've tried to go. So I started in SSD uh, benchmarking, right? And uh, there were a number of challenges even there. So once I thought I got the hang of endurance, now let me go to some kind of some other problem in that performance monitoring and stuff like that. I think just curiosity drove like the first few years, and now it's giving back. I think I, I I think when I came to Meta, I pretty much switched from being like seeking mentors to still seeking mentors, but also being a mentee, uh, also giving back as a mentor. And over there, I think giving back to the industry. And one of the pivotal kind of moments there, or the revelation there was my work at Cisco, where I was part of this consortium called the NVMe Management Interface. So that was like pretty cool, knowing that not only could your work impact your own employer, but actually the industry as a whole. So I think now I see more the impact I can have on larger scale, while learning has always been like the constant theme. So. Awesome. Now, you've been at a Meta for the past uh, four and a half years or so, and that's been during a time when um, the AI industry has just exploded. Has there been any unique aspects of Meta's culture that's made it a particularly great place to work on hardware? Yeah, I think what drew me to Meta and uh, what remains the, uh, like the biggest motivator for me is like uh, Meta's huge kind of involvement with the open source community and contributing back. For me, I think especially with AI hardware, all the, you see all the wonderful things that are happening on the AI models, open sourcing foundational models and stuff. But there's also Meta has been a very uh, active player in this uh, group called the Open Compute Project. Uh, so even when I was at my other employers, I was like, this was one of the motivating factors. And the fact that I'm able to influence uh, through uh, various work groups, uh, right? Like the the industry as a whole. Uh, and I think, well, like you pointed out, right, the AI explosion, we're dealing with a lot of hardware heterogeneity. We're dealing with novel workloads that are changing on a day-to-day -day basis. So you need to get all the best minds together and solve it in a scalable fashion. And this is the time where like, uh, the standards are being formed. This is a good uh, time to, I feel like I'm at the right place at the right time uh, being at Meta to solve those challenges. Awesome. Can you uh, share a, a bit more about how OCP formed and what some of the what some of the working groups you're most closely involved with there? Yeah, so Open Compute Project uh, started with the goal of making the barrier for having data uh, center hardware lower. Meta was one of the founding members, and there, there are a bunch of different companies that contribute specifications and tools and uh, stuff. Right, I think I've been in privy to quite a few, like on the storage side, like working on some of the logging infrastructure. And most recently, I was part of the test and validation output formatting of the diagnostic group. And right now, I'm part of the OCP GPU work group where there are a bunch of like compliance tooling and specifications around the areas of RAS, which stands for reliability, availability, serviceability, and diagnostics and telemetry that are being worked on. So these are some of the areas I'm actively engaged in. And there's a lot of work group that a lot of my colleagues work with, which I'm also looking to on this, like uh, work on silent error detection and stuff, which uh, I'm also very uh, pumped about. And I think as a whole, uh, OCP 
provides like a great avenue to solve some of these, like as a larger collective group. Hmm. Awesome. Now, when people think about AI hardware, the conversation usually focuses almost exclusively on on GPUs. But what what are some other overlooked yet crucial elements of AI hardware? Yeah, that's why I think uh, one of the things I'm personally excited is coming largely from an SSD background. GPUs are in some sense SSD on steroids, right? They're very similar kind of problem space, but when you look, put it in an AI system, the complexity just explodes, right? The AI systems are incredibly complex in the design domain. Goes from a single GPU to clusters and data, entire data centers. Designs have to be around like how do you train these massive LLMs and stuff, right? And that brings challenges. One is obviously you have to think of the fabric and the networking, right? When you have multi-GPU training, that brings like various uh, challenges around interconnect. You have faster inter- interconnect speeds to cope with the latencies, but they're also for the what you call this the SERDs, the, there's the IO part, there's like a lot of marginality that introduces. Now GPUs and AI boxes are incredibly power hungry. They take up a lot of rack space. So now how do you cool them becomes like a big problem. So there are novel technologies like liquid cooling that are being looked at, which bring with it challenges like safety and leakage detection and stuff. And overall, I think uh, the space that I'm very passionate about, which is debuggability and kind of fault tolerance. Now in the AI hardware systems, that's the stakes are incredibly high. The failure domain is high. So how do you design for those? And what are the trade-offs you can do with some of the resource requirements that something like checkpointing? Those are some of the challenges you need to think of as a, when you think of AI hardware as a whole rather than just like the building blocks. Well, yeah, lots of in- interesting things you've mentioned right there. You mentioned the the power hungriness piece. And obviously, as these systems scale, heat and cooling become critical and just the impact on the energy grid as a whole. As you're... Th- thinking about how to optimize things, do you draw inspiration from how any other industries have tackled these challenges? Yeah, I think more than industries, I obviously this neuromorphic chips and like uh, taking inspiration from nature has always been something I got exposed to when I was in my undergrad and uh, I look for the work that's happening there. Right? But more broadly for me, this is, I look at uh, all this storytelling, it may sound weird, but screenwriting and stuff, right? Because the way it helps me is like, storytelling, what is this problem we're trying to solve, trying to put it in a format that's communicating to the audience, in some sense also has a clarifying effect. I think going back to the drawing board and making sure your story as a whole is coherent is something I draw inspiration from. I look at various podcasts that have founders telling their stories. I have a couple of favorites like Crucible Moments and How I Built This Guy Razan. I think those are where I draw inspiration from in my own quest to understand the problem better, communicate it, and get more people to solve it as a whole. Nice, awesome. You also mentioned the just the impact of uh, the rise in LLMs and just the adoptions there. From from a hardware perspective, there are the hardware needs for generative AI meaningfully different from other types of AI. Yeah, I can speak. From like a SSD perspective, like a few years back when SSD vendors would always say, give me your block list, give me your workload and I'll try to tune that so that your workload doesn't see these latencies. I'll put my garbage collection there. Now, that was for database applications and cache applications, which have matured right now. When you talk about LLMs, there's a new foundational model coming on almost on a daily basis. And this space is evolving so rapidly. I think more than you answer, the answer to your question is a lot of that is being figured out, right? And do you really put the biggest and the baddest that can handle everything 
and that brings with it like the cost and the power, like you mentioned, or do you buy something custom, which may quickly become obsolete, right? Those are very active challenges. I think the AI hardware community as a whole is trying to address. I think we are in the face of discovery right now. Awesome. Now, you also t- talked about debugging, and I know a recent really cool announcement from Meta was around the release of Hawkeye for a general AI debugging toolkit, mainly focused on monitoring and troubleshooting ML models in production there. I'm wondering if there is a similar toolkit that touches on the hardware layer too. Yeah, on the hardware layer, I think the work group I mentioned, that's a kind of goal to evolve uh, standard like lock pages and or like error injection tools and debug capabilities on the hardware side that again draw inspiration from a lot of PCI cards and stuff like that. But now because of the stakes being higher and the fault domain, you have to think of it at a more kind of resource intensity and how do you like how much resources do you throw at the problem, right? Those specs are being worked on, like I mentioned, the GPU work group, that's one of the primary goals to develop equivalent monitoring and telemetry specifications and by extension tools on the GPU and the AI hardware side. Fascinating. Looking more narrowly at the at the teams and people that you're working with to accomplish all of this, these are obviously a lot of innovative things that just haven't been done before. What are the, as you're recruiting and building your teams, what are the main types of expertise and skill sets that you're looking for? Yeah, I think one of the things when you talk about recruiting is like there's also this general panic of what does AI mean to high-tech jobs and what will be replaced and stuff, right? I think one thing for me that I like to see in people joining my, uh, the team is like their ability to take something ambiguous and not clearly defined and make it concrete, right? And that skill is going to be very crucial, the adaptability and being able to figure out is all the more crucial now as more and more things can get automated. And also the way I look for those signals are I like to do system design interview loops where you come up with an abstract problem, build a monitoring system for mm-hmm. hardware faults, and then you work uh, together with the interviewee to figure that out. A lot of times it's challenging and intimidating for the interviewee, but it's also, honestly, very easy for the interviewer to do it wrong. Uh, you can try to make your interviewee look bad, but you wouldn't be getting the right signals unless mm-hmm. you are proficient and you're getting the cues and you're working. For the interviewee also, it's a good model of this person you're going to work together and how are you going to co-work? So yeah, I think definitely those are the signals I look for, ability to take an ambiguous problem and I find system design interviews like a good way to derive those signals. Got it. Has the way you interview and the types of questions and scenarios you'd like to ask changed over the years? I think earlier on, it was more of, say, it would be a coding question or something definitely more well-defined. I think I have definitely tried to challenge myself to more move more into the system design loop and kind of have these open-ended questions. And yeah, that's been my personal kind of evolution. Nice. Now, looking at something else you mentioned was around just the impact of AI on, on knowledge work. I'm wondering if I'm looking at your own workflows, you're using any AI tools yourself, either a co-pilot or on the debugging side, any aspects that you found it's been helpful? Yeah, one, 100%. I think if you're not using one of the best ways to not be replaced by Gen AI is to use Gen AI, know how to do it proficiently, right? And in general, I, like I mentioned, because of my 
earlier fascination that started like back in 2005. I've always looked for keeping myself up to date with uh, kind of the getting on a Google Colab notebook, reading the paper and trying to replicate it. So I, I have these side projects on like kind of the learn by doing track and that helps me pull in aspects for my own work. That's a, a kind of almost like a side hustle, I'd say. <laughs> nice. The very last question I have for you, Finkat, is so looking at last year and just the press around AI, it seemed the year was very much defined by just widespread consumer awareness on the various potential ways that generative AI could be used. Very much, mostly hype it seemed, and uh, people still figuring out where it's going to land. Looking at 2024, do you have any predictions for how the industry will be evolving in the next 12 months? I wouldn't call it predictions, but I can give you my wish list. I think primarily I would want to see how AI can be used in education, right? And Khan Academy is doing like wonderful work there with Khan Vigo. But more broadly, I one of the things growing up for me was like education was always about getting mm-hmm. the right or the wrong answer, right? But in real world, you come to realize a lot of it is about optimization and iterativeness. And a lot of that requires like kind of the personalized learning, which you cannot scale without AI. So that's mm. where I'm personally following that space very closely and very excited. And in some ways, I feel it gratifying that my own work on making AI hardware more accessible for these kind of so non-profit use cases will actually <coughs> bring about a transformation for like uh, people who are getting educated for the workforce of tomorrow. Well, what types of personalization in education have you seen work really well? Yeah, like I said, the economy got you right. My daughter has this thing and it's amazing. The Socratic tutoring that it does, asking questions and being able to help you with math and stuff. I think overall, like the non-linearity at which kids naturally mm-hmm. learn, I think AI can kind of help bridge that gap and give them the, understand their context. And yeah, so yeah, I think that's one great use case I've seen in recent time. Also, I, I personally am like a hobbyist. I had this Jetson Nano and a bunch of these uh, hobby kits. And I'd like to see a hardware in that sense also be more accessible for education and classroom and stuff. So. Yeah. Awesome. Vinka, this has been a really insightful chat. Thank you for so much for sharing a bit about your world. Thanks so much for having me, Shake. This is a wonderful conversation. This podcast is brought to you by H10. Part about advanced technology that never changes is the need for the right people to design, build, and manage it. H10 offers just that with an on-demand talent and management service that covers all aspects of engineering, program management, and AI. Trusted by over 400 companies, including half of the Fortune 10, H10 is here to help lighten your load and make you the hero. 